so we are in uh, Genesis chapter 20. Uh, so this is the narrative that uh, is coming on the end of Sodom and Gomorrah, of course. And, and that's going to be important because there are going to be some important parallels that, that we will see. Um, also, because I'll forget, we'll say this later, um, I'm wanting to take a brief break from Genesis. You've probably noticed this pattern. We'll go four, four months or something, you know, the way we've been doing the last two or three years through Genesis. And then I sort of need a break. Um, and I, and uh, we'll, we'll do a brief series, probably four or five weeks, um, probably more or five weeks. And then uh, we'll probably come back and pick up in chapter 21. So we're going to end uh, with Abraham and Sarah without a baby. And then we'll pick up a few months from now uh, with the birth of Isaac. So that's sort of a natural break in the Abraham narrative. So let's read the entire chapter and then we'll dive into it. Uh, chapter 20, And there Abraham journeyed toward the territory of the Negev and lived between Kadesh and Shur. He sojourned in Gerar. And Abraham said of Sarah, his wife, she is my sister. And Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, Behold, you are a dead man because of the woman whom you have taken, for she is a man's wife. Now Abimelech had not approached her. So he said, Lord, will you kill an innocent people? Did he not himself say to me, she is my sister? And she herself say, he is my brother. And the integrity of my heart and the innocence of my hands, I have done this. And God said to him in a dream, Yes, I know you have done this in the integrity of your heart, and it, is, it was I who kept you from sinning against me. Therefore, I, will, I did not let you touch her. Now then, return the man's wife, for he is a prophet, so that he will pray for you, and you shall live. But if you do not return her, know that you shall surely die, you and all who are yours." So Abimelech rose early in the morning and called all his servants and told them all these things. The men were very much afraid. Then Abimelech called Abraham and said to him, What have you done to us? And how have I sinned against you that you have brought on me and my kingdom a great sin? You have done to me things that ought not to be done. And Abimelech said to Abraham, What did you see that you did this thing? Abraham said, I did it because I thought there is no fear of God at all in this place, and they will kill me because of my wife. Besides, she is indeed my sister, the daughter of my father, though not the daughter of my mother, and she became my wife. And when God caused me to wander from my father's house, I said to her, This is the kindness you must do me at every place to which we come. Say of me, he is my brother. And then Abimelech took sheep and oxen and male servants and female servants and gave them to Abraham. Returned Sarah, his wife, to him. And Abimelech said, Behold, my land is before you. Dwell, dwell where it pleases you. To Sarah he said, Behold, I have given your brother a thousand pieces of silver. It is a sign of your innocence in the eyes of all who are with you, and before everyone you are vindicated. Then Abraham prayed to God, and God healed Abimelech, and also healed his wife and female slaves, so that they bore children. For the Lord had closed all the wounds of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. Now, one of the things I have noticed is... I think we, we, we mentioned this a few weeks ago on Sunday morning, is the standards by which non-believers hold believers is higher than the standard we as believers hold ourselves. You notice that? This is probably the number one reason why people have left the church in the last two, three generations. If, if you call, and I've, ever since our yard sale, I've called a lot of people. We've gone door to door with a lot of people, and you'll find that commonality. Uh, everyone is connected to a church. No one goes to church. You know the numbers by now. You should know by now. 84% of Franklin County is lost uh, and not churched. 84%. 
And many of those went to vacation Bible school when they were a kid, remember Sunday school as a little one, maybe even got saved at youth camp whenever they were a teenager. Many of them had some spiritual experience at a local church. Where are they now? And what you'll find often is the standards are higher uh, from unbelievers to believers than believers have among themselves. And this is one of those stories that really confronts us with that reality. If you were to just take this story, you knew nothing about Abraham, Abimelech, Sarah. You knew nothing about Lot and Hagar. You knew nothing about any of these characters. You just had this one story. And I asked you, who's the good guy? Who's the bad guy? Who's the Christian? Who's the non-Christian? You would say the Christian is Abimelech. And you would be surprised to find that he is actually the pagan, a non-believer, or at least a believer in false idols. The, the, the believer here, the man of faith who's known as a man of faith, is actually the guy who threatened an entire kingdom by his actions. So I, I think this is a really, really convicting passage. Well, let's, let's just introduce it real quickly. Uh, we need to know here that the story of Abraham, if you take chapter 12 to chapter 20, which is really sort of its, its own section. This, this is the hope of a promised son, right? So this is its, its own section. It's bookended in a very unique way. It starts with the promise, right? Remember, Abraham moves. He's sojourning. Remember that because that shows up in chapter 20, verse 1. He's sojourning. God makes a promise. Uh, land and lineage are the two main ones there. Um, and, uh, and then what does Abraham do immediately from that? He goes to Egypt and he lies about his wife being his sister. Now, how does this, this narrative arc end? And then with Abraham the sojourner, again, chapter 20, verse 1, who goes to a foreign nation as a sojourner here, uh, uh, the people of Gerar, the nation of Gerar, and he lies about his wife being his sister. And it concludes with the fulfillment of the promise that he would be a father. It's almost like God wrote the Bible. And so, so, so we are to see these, these connections here. By the way, uh, in chapter 27, we're going to read this story again. Isaac much like his daddy, uh, goes and does the same thing with King Abimelech. <laughs> it's the same story, chapter 27. So by the time we're done with Genesis, you should know one story very well. And that is the patriarchs lying about their wives. And all, and all, all the wives were thinking, men are just terrible human beings. And you're pretty much right on that point. Um, so the main point of the story one of the main things, at least broadly speaking in, in, the, in, in the biblical narrative, is to see the relationship between Abraham and, 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 and from that his descendants that he represents and the nations here represented by Abimelech. So what we see here is how do the people of God interact with the nations? Remember, the promise isn't just land and lineage. It's blessing. To those who bless you, I'll bless. Those who curse you, I'll, I'll curse. So when Abraham has to go save his, his nephew, Lot, from, from all those nations, they get the cursing that comes with it. Here, we're, we're going to see an initial cursing, right, that is going to end up with, with blessing. Okay? Uh, so we need to see uh, that that is, is there. Of course, that is Genesis 12, 3. We, we won't read it, but I, I trust you're familiar with it. Um, and, of course, the irony here is the nations are more righteous than Israel. What is the, the majority story of the Old Testament, at least its history? It's how Israel is as pagan as the rest of the nations. 
Right? And that's, that's why they were thrown into captivity. If you're going to live like the pagans, go live with the pagans. So you get the northern tribes sent first, and then you get the southern tribes of Judah and Benjamin sent later by the Babylonians, because there was no real difference between them. Right? So we're also to see a contrast between Sodom and Abimelech, because right? these stories are, are connected to each other. Both represent Gentile nations. Both are pagan. Yet Abimelech plays what scholars call the religious Gentile. We, we meet these occasionally. Cyrus, for example, would be a, religious, a righteous Gentile who sends the Israelites to their promised land, right? Nehemiah and Ezra and Haggai and Zechariah, all of them. He would be a picture of, of one of those. Um, and uh, he is one that Abraham can live with peace, right? That, that's going to be important. Um, and notice how he responds to God's warning of judgments. Unlike the men of Sodom, they respond uh, with the warning of God's judgment with laughter. Remember Lot's sons-in-law. They, they laugh at Lot. You're a joke. Your warning's a joke. We'll just uh, play the fiddle while Sodom burns. Um, also, we need to see how this, this narrative, like the one previous to it, uh, risks the identity of Isaac. Now, think, think about the story you have here, okay? Let, let, let's just imagine uh, that, that this was happening in the 21st century, okay? And uh, here's a woman who cannot get pregnant, been married to her husband for a long time, cannot get pregnant. And then there's a little rumor, they went on vacation, and there was a guy on that boat that took a liking of this bride. And she comes home pregnant. What do you think the rumor's going to be? Who's the real daddy? What you have here is a story. In the next chapter is the birth of Isaac. And God had promised Abraham and Sarah in chapter 18, you will have a son within a year. And what does Abraham go do? He risks really the, the identity of Isaac. So in that sense, Isaac is at threat of becoming like Ishmael. Ishmael is the union between Abraham and another woman. This story runs the risk of Isaac being the son of Sarah and another man. And so this narrative, one of the things it does is it makes it very clear. Isaac is the son of Abraham. Right. Uh, okay, well, let's look at it. We'll start in first four sevens, uh, first seven verses, rather. Uh, and we see Abraham is, is on the move there. From there, Abraham journeyed toward the territory of Negev, lived between Kadesh and Shur. He sowed into Gerar. Does anyone have a different word for Negev? Or Negeb, B and V's are funny in Hebrew. You got South. What translation do you got? Is that NIV? New King James. Really? New King James has the South. Okay. I was going to make an NIV joke. Is, does anyone else have, 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 have the South? The you got South? What, what do you have? The old King James. Too. <laughs> wow. Well, then we know which one is, is of God himself. Um, Okay, so, so, so mine is, is the updated one. Uh, the word means south or southern region, something like that. Uh, There's one of the challenges in translation, particularly of, of a language that we don't know the meaning of every word with, with great clarity, is when do you transliterate? So could the Negev mean they went south or is it an actual region in the south, right? Much in the same way, you know, you can say, well, are you from the south? Well, the South there is a technical term. It has a meaning. At the same time, it's a geographical location, hence the name, right? We are East Frankfurt Baptist Church. I get frustrated when people say, hey, where are you pastor? East Frankfurt Baptist Church. Where's that at? 
Well, it's, it's a funny thing you asked. It's, <laughs> it's in East Frankfurt. I don't know what you want from me, right? You know, <laughs> am, I, am I on punked right now, you know? Um, so so that, that's, that's why I, I bring it up. Um, but it shows that as he's traveling around, he, he's semi-nomadic. He's leaving the, uh, the Oaks of Mamre. Remember that, that that is where he builds the altar. There's the tree. He encounters God. For whatever reason, he is on the move. So uh, he's leaving there. He goes south to Negev. Kadesh and Shur, that is the southern part of Judah. Some of these places are hard for us to nail down, but it's clearly the southern part of, of Judah. Uh, Gerar, uh, again, the exact location is, is difficult to come by. It's likely on the road between Canaan and Egypt, which is, of course, a, a very strategic location, as you can imagine. I don't know if it's right on the King's Highway, the ancient road there, but uh, still an important location. For international, excuse me, international trade, but of course the, the the story really picks up verse two. Abraham said of his wife, "She is my sister." And Abimelech does what all the kings at this time did. He sees a, a woman that he is interested in. He goes and takes her, right? And and that that's that's what we have here. So, just as he did in, in Egypt, he does it here. He misleads the king by misidentifying his wife. And I, every time I read this, I think. What's going through the mind of Sarah? I know customs and, and everything has changed. But I can't imagine any wife in any generation, in any locale, is happy with the thought, my husband wants everyone to think we're related, not married. <laughs> right? I, I can't imagine that is something, regardless of the circumstances, that it's, it's going to make a bride happy. You know, maybe I just don't understand women, and you ladies can can help me here. But I just can't imagine that is something that she's like. You know what? That is a brilliant idea. In fact, every Valentine's Day, can we get each other brother and sister cards? Right? I can't imagine this is something that she wants long term, or even short term, frankly. Um, so Abimelech takes Sarah, and a lot of people don't know why. And they usually do that because of our bias regarding age. We assume that youth equals beauty. I, 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 we need to push against that. We, we did that when we looked at chapter 12, so I don't want to re, uh, return that. But uh, there are two reasons presented in light of that why he may have taken Sarah. One was to add, add her to his harem. That's the traditional view, right? It's probably what you're assuming here. He, he, he wants to add her to the other women, his other concubines and stuff, for his own pleasure, right? And that, I think, is the assumption of the narrative. When it talks about how God uh, uh, closed the wombs, the implication is that these are wives and concubines of Abimelech, and Sarah is being added to them. After all, her womb has been closed, right? The other view is that it is a means to secure peace with Abraham. Remember, Abraham is a wealthy sojourner, and, and the view here goes that as kings and chieftains, and Abraham will be viewed as a chieftain. He has a lot of people under him. That the way you, you extend peace is to extend, for lack of a better term, women. I, I, I just don't know how else to describe that in a more friendly way. This is what Solomon does. We've already seen David is doing in, in our study of 2 Samuel. This was a common way at the time. I told you all a few months ago, I, I, I've, I've cut down on it some, but I've been reading a lot of um, uh, British royalty uh, leading up to Henry VIII. So you get the, the, the War of the Roses and, and all this. It's just wild. And, and it, it all comes down to this. Who you marry to is going to determine where you're going to have your peace. Right? I mean, that's really as simple as it is. So you're going to get Catherine of, of not Aragorn, because that's Lord of the Rings. Aragon, I think it is. So whatever it is. She comes from Spain because England needs to make peace with Spain. 
right? Mary, Queen of Scots, is Scottish, obviously, but she's French. And so, so you know, that creates problems that when England wants to go to war with, with France, well, even though England has secured peace with Scotland, when, when Henry VIII gave his sister to the king of, of, of Scotland, well, Scotland says, we've got an older alliance with France. We're going to invade, right? It's the battle. Is it Flodden? I had an ancestor who died in that war. Anyway, so, so, so you, right? It's, it's all about who you marry to is going to determine likely who you're going to be at peace at. Same thing is going on here. And here we meet Abimelech. The name literally means my God or my father is king. Uh, whenever you see Melech, Melech in a name means king. If you see an I in the name, like Elijah or Abimelech or Elimelech, that's my, that's possessive. The I is my. So A-B or A-V, of, like Abba, means father. So my father is king. And, and this could mean that he's the son of a king, right? That would make sense. It could also be in reference to a deity, a pagan deity. Some have suggested that. So, so he's being presented here as the royal father. Right? And he certainly plays, plays that, that role. And he has a dream. Now, I found this fascinating. Genesis, from what I can tell more than any other book of the Bible, dreams play a vital role in special revelation. Okay? So, so think about some of them here, Genesis 30. Uh, or Genesis 20. In Genesis 31, you get Jacob's dream about spotted goats, right? You, you remember that? Just um, uh, chapter 31. Uh, he, he, the reason his goats and sheep and all that works out is because he had a dream. So, um, by the way, it's the angel of the Lord. Uh, uh, later, Laban gets a dream about Jacob in Genesis 31. Uh, Genesis 37, Joseph dreams that his, his brothers and, and, and father will, will bow down to him. Genesis 40 is the butler and the baker, right? Remember them? When, when Joseph is in prison. And then that leads to another dream. And that leads to the dream of Pharaoh, who has the dream about the fat cows and the skinny cows, right? So the vegetarians and the meat eaters, of course. And, and that leads to the preservation of Egypt, yes, but the preservation of, of the descendants of Abraham, which is the main point of, of that narrative. Now, Abimelech's dream is frightening. I mean, God shows up. Now, this is, this is the sequel to Sodom, okay? Don't forget that. And he shows up. He's done wiping out multiple cities. And he says, oh, by the way, buddy, you're going to die. <laughs> right? I mean, that's a, that, will, that will inflame your insomnia, I'm guessing, right? I mean, have you ever had one of those dreams, right? For me, it's anytime I'm falling out of the sky. The thought of falling out of the sky is enough to keep me awake, right? I mean, I, I, just, I just, I don't like heights, and the older I get, the worse it gets. And, and so if I have a dream where I'm falling out of the sky, and I've had the uh, vertical migraines, when I lost my hearing and it had the uh, steroids treatment, I was getting them like every 36 hours. And so not only did, did, did I was thinking about falling out of the sky, I felt like I was falling out of a helicopter backwards. It was awful. I just absolutely hate it. Well, if, I, if that happens to me, I'm up for the rest of the night. I just can't do it. And that's something goofy. This dream is, knock, knock, knock. This is God speaking. You're going to die. Okay? Get you some rest. I'll see you in the morning. Right? I mean, this is, yeah, he's, he's going to be awake, right? And, um, well, some may read this and think, well, this is a bit harsh coming from God. I get it while you're destroying Sodom. I'm on your side, God, but this is a bit harsh. But in the ancient Near Eastern world, adultery was a capital offense. This shows up later in the Mosaic Law. 
Um, and, and you remember the woman caught in adultery in John chapter 8. What's the punishment? Stoning. Same crime. Um, and, and we see other examples of this. If Mary gets pregnant and it ain't Joseph's boy, it's adultery. She's legally bound to Joseph. She's unfaithful to her husband, betrothed to. And so the punishment is, is death. That's why he decides to divorce her quietly to, to save her life. So in ancient Irish culture, is a very serious crime. And so God shows up and, and uh, um, is going to deal with them. Well, to be clear, verse 4, Abimelech had not approached her. This is, this is protecting, as we said, the, the, the biology of Isaac because he's coming next. Right? Um, and, and so the text goes out of its way to emphasize that, much in the same way Matthew and Luke emphasize the virginity of Mary. It goes out of its way. Uh, she, she did not sleep with anyone. This is a true uh, virgin birth. Now, this means Abimelech not sleeping with Sarah. By law, he had rights to. Okay? He exercises greater self-control than Abraham did with Hagar. It's the same story, isn't it? And we talked about it in Genesis 12 with Pharaoh. Now, remember, Sarah brings Hagar to Abraham. Here, Abraham essentially hands Sarah over to another man. It's the same story. Abraham did not withhold himself. Abimelech did. Again, he's more righteous, in, in, at least in his actions, than... Abraham is. And by giving his wife to Abimelech, he is approving of this strange man sleeping with his wife. There's no way of looking at Abraham in, in, in a good light in this story. You just can't do it. Much like Lot. Really, you look at Lot and like, I know the Bible says he's righteous. I just, he must have had a really bad day. And that's like the one story we get of him, right? And same thing here at Abraham. If this is all you had of Abraham, you would not see him as, as a man of God. And you'll notice, um, Abimelech in the dream, he's crying out to God, responding. His question mirrors Abraham with the, the Sodom story. You remember that Abraham asked God, will you destroy a city if, if you find ten righteous people? And the, the assumption is, no, he won't. What's Abimelech saying here? Will you kill an innocent people? It's not just the king that is a threat here. It's his kingdom that is at threat here. He said, will you kill us if we are innocent? And the answer God gave Abraham in Genesis 18 is the same answer God gives this pagan king in Genesis 20. No. No. Because that innocence is the issue there. Innocence and, and integrity, as, as we'll see. Uh, and you'll see that Abimelech really believes in the righteous holiness of God more than Abraham believes practically in the covenantal promises of, of God. Right? They, they, they both believe something about God. Abimelech believes, if I'm innocent, God isn't going to destroy me, okay? Um, Abraham seems not to believe that God will keep you safe. God will fulfill his promises. You don't have anything to worry about among the pagans and among the nations. Abraham seems to have forgotten that. Yet again, and we've seen God reaffirm that covenant on at least three occasions already. It's amazing, isn't it, how the people of God can forget the covenantal promises of God. If only I could think of an application for that. Right? What's the old Luther quote? He says, I preach on one thing every Sunday, and I beat it in their heads continually because my people forget it every week. It's true. That's why if you read Luther's sermons, saying they were Spurgeon sermons, he's going to get back to the same thing. You would think uh, Spurgeon's congregation, they were all lost the way he preached there at the end. 
Because right, there's one thing you need to know. Hopefully you've noticed in six and a half years, there's one thing we talk about on Sunday morning. How we get there may be different. It's going to be about Jesus Christ and him crucified. Because it's the one thing that's most important that we have a tendency to, to forget. Sort of like every time I leave the house, I say, kids, do your chores before I come in for lunch. Why? Because they seem to forget every day they have the same chores they need to do before lunch. It's amazing. Right? Um, well, uh, we'll move on to, to, to verse, verse 5 there. Um, it says, Did he not himself say to me, She is my sister? And she herself said, He is my brother. In the integrity of my heart, in the innocence of my hands, I have done this. Right? So he appeals to the Lord's holiness and righteousness, and he appeals to, to the truth of the situation. And, and he says two things. One, I was told she was a sister, not a wife. See, there wouldn't be anything wrong with a man giving his sister over for the sake of peace. That's what we talked about. That was common and still is somewhat common. And he says, on the other end, is what I asked her. She said, yeah, he's my brother. He said, if you just go by the information I've been given, I've not done anything illegal uh, necessarily. Now, I do think it's worth footnoting here how easy it often is for spouses to go along with their spouse's sin often in the name of marital unity. Look, I just don't want to fight about it anymore. I'll just go along. And it's very easy to do that. Now, the solution to that is that neither spouse go in the direction of sin. In marriage, if it's a picture of the gospel, and it is, we should be growing together in Christ, not pulling one or the other away. So what you have here is Abraham saying, no, this is how we're going to handle this. I need you to deceive on my behalf. And she responds with, no, 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 no. I'm your wife. And that's, what a, that's important to me and to the God we, we worship and serve. Instead, she says, okay, it didn't work the first time. Maybe it'll work the second time. I'm just going to go along because I don't want to have another fight. And it's amazing how, how easy that is to do in marriage. And it never works out. It never works out in the Bible whenever this happens. And notice his language, the integrity of my heart and the innocence of his hands. Um, this is the first time the words integrity, at least this specific Hebrew word and its usage, integrity and innocence is used in the Bible. Right here in this story, right? So it's, it's a great picture of it. Uh, the Bible has a lot to say about integrity, particularly this word integrity. Uh, Proverbs 10, whoever walks in integrity walks securely. He who makes his ways crooked will be found out. Yeah, a very simple principle, isn't it? Choose integrity. Uh, Psalm 19, 1 uh, better is the poor that walks. That you can see the word study I use is King James. For, for you real Christians, you're welcome here. Uh, better is the poor that walks in his integrity than he that is perverse in his lips and is a fool. Right? Which one of these two dominates our culture right now? Um, uh, Proverbs 20, the just man walks in his integrity. His children are blessed after him. And we, we can obviously look at a thousand others in, in the Bible. Look, in the Bible, one's integrity matters more than his safety. One's innocence matters more than his security. And Americans have proven over the generations we care more about safety than integrity. We are okay living a life with an unclean conscience so long as we are safe, rich, and secure. I want to encourage you as Christians to choose integrity and innocence over anything else. Choose to do the right thing, even if it isn't the convenient thing or the beneficial thing. Right? Uh, this is something I tell every minister who's hurting. 
they're at the end of a ministry or just left a ministry and they're, and they're hurting. I always tell them the same thing. I said, can you honestly say as you look back in the situation, yes, you made mistakes. Yes, you would have done things differently. All of that is important that you realize that and confess that and learn from it. But can you honestly say my integrity and my calling are intact? If the answer is yes, move forward. If the answer is no, repent. Because right? that is what matters. Not did I grow a large church. Not did they throw me out. I did a, a, a two-day uh, training event at KBC, and one of the things we, we preachers do is we tell horror stories, right, you know, you know, that make all of the churches we served at look bad. And uh, boy, have I got some good ones on y'all. No, but, uh, you know, you, you hear the really bad ones often because we try to top each other. My fish is bigger than yours. Mine's trawl bag. Mine's trawl bag. Well, you're not going to believe what the deacons did to me. I, I'll give you one. Um, the, the deacons were meeting to fire their pastor, okay? Well, the guy doesn't know this. He sees, oh, look, some of our leading men are at the church on a Saturday evening. I'll swing by and say hi. He didn't preach the next day, right? <laughs> he didn't preach it at all, right? Well, you know, that, that, that sort of stuff. And it comes down to the same issue. This is true not just for ministry, but for all of us. Can you honestly say I fulfill the calling God has given me as a husband, a wife, mother, father, child of God? And is my conscience clear? Am I living with integrity? If so, you can move forward in life. It doesn't mean it's not going to be difficult, but you can move forward. And here's the pagan who says, look, my heart is innocent. My heart is, has integrity. My, my hands are, are innocent. And contrast that with Abraham and Sarah. They don't have any of that. They don't have innocence or integrity. Notice verse 6. This is the one that is, is most controversial. God said to him in the dream, Yes, I know that you have done this in the integrity of your heart. It was I who kept you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. Does that, does that make you uncomfortable? It should. Why didn't Abimelech touch Sarah? One is God's sovereign grace. The other possibly is uh, circumstances that God uses. Remember, God is sovereign over the means and the ends. So we'll get to this. In verse 17, hints at some sort of illness. And some see that as, as a, 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 like, like a, a sexual illness, uh, particularly uh, a, a, an inability to, to, to conceive. And that's what's hinted at in 17 and 18. So some see that, that this was going on, and when Sarah comes in, that's why he, he and that, that could be true. You know, because God is sovereign over the means and, 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 and the ends, right? We're going to see this with Pharaoh, right? God hardened Pharaoh's heart. God softens Pharaoh's heart. So the, so the Pharaoh, shoot, God is sovereign over the means and the ends, right? Both are true, right? And, and I think we all agree with this. this for some reason, we, we fight over some of these, these details um, uh, between sovereignty and agency. Uh, verse 7, uh, he, uh, he returns Sarah. And notice there, he refers to him as a prophet. This is the first time this word is used in the Bible. And it's not really a compliment, is it? There's going to be plenty of other prophets and priests and kings who are going to be just as morally compromised as Abraham here. And we see Abraham has acted as a prophet. Remember, he intercedes on behalf of Sodom. Here he's going to intercede on behalf of Abimelech and the nation of Gerar. Um, but the first time he's called is in the context that he wasn't living like it. Right. Um, by the way, I, I, the, uh, the second time this word is used is in Exodus. Um, did I not put it up there? Oh, well, Exodus 7, 1. Uh, Moses and Aaron are both called prophets. It's the next time the word is used. Uh, 
Um, um, well, uh, let's just, before there's more we can say there, verse 8 to 18, or really 8 to uh, 13 is the next unit. We, we can go, go through again there. Um, notice in verse 8, he rises early. That's probably insomnia, right? If you had a dream like that, you, you're up, you know, probably up before the sun. He rises early, and he does not wait to right a wrong. Again, if only I can think of an application there, right? That, that we oftentimes wait to right a wrong. Because we, well, it's just not convenient, or I don't want to bother them, they seem busy, right? No, no, he, he doesn't wait. Um, and notice the response. He, he tells the dream, and notice his servants and the people around him, and the men who were very, they were very much afraid. That word is a very important word. It seems like a lot of what we've looked at on Wednesdays and Sundays has been centered around the fear of God. And here's another example of it. That word fear has been used multiple times thus far in Genesis. The first time it's used in Genesis 3.10. Uh, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid. Uh, that it, it, this is a fear of God, fear of his judgment. I'm a naked, I'm, I'm exposed physically and spiritually in that context. Another one, I don't know if this is the next one. Uh, it might be Genesis 15. And these things, the word of the Lord came into Abram in a vision saying, fear not, Abram, I am your shield and your uh, exceeding great reward. Do do not fear, right? If, if you were to encounter the living God, your response would be, can I get a selfie? That is not it. Your response would be, I am scared to death. Kill me now and send me to hell. I don't deserve this, right? Um, I'm, I'm sure y'all remember the uh, story that uh, MacArthur uh, used to tell. I've told you all this before. Um, he had a man who came up to him and said, preacher, I, I talk to Jesus. He shows up every day in the mirror in the bathroom and I shave every morning. You know, and he went on about the story about this guy just talking to Jesus. And Mark Arthur said, well, okay. I, if you're telling the truth, let me ask you one question. Do you keep shaving? <laughs> right? If you're encountering God, you need to stay far away from a razor. Right? As far away as you can. I don't, I don't care how safe it is. Stay far away from it. It is a danger. Because right? you're encountering the, the living God. And so they, they, they are scared to death. Um, chapter 18 Sarah denied. Remember, she denied. She laughed. Uh, I laughed not, for she was afraid. Uh, and then we get in chapter 19. Lot went up out of Zoar and dwelt in the mountain. His two daughters with him, for he feared to dwell in Zoar. We saw that last week. And there's that fear. He's, he's starting to realize, oh, no, I didn't make a wise decision here. God I should have had God destroy them, too. But my foolishness prevented that. So they fear the judgment of God more than Abraham fears God. And that's going to come up later. Abraham says, well, they clearly don't fear God. Well, they clearly do. I mean, they do now, at least. They fear him more than, than Abraham does. Now, verse 9 through 10 is Abimelech's criticism to, to Abraham, right? He doesn't say, here, take your sister. He'll do that later. Go take your sister. You know, I'm just, I, 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 I'm going to within 30 days return policy sort of thing. That's not what he does. He says, yeah, you can have her. I got something I got to say. Notice he has three questions he proposes to Abraham there in verses 9 to 10. The first one, what have you done to us? Right? It's a stinging rebuke, isn't it? What were you thinking? What have you done to us? By the way, that is the same question we get in Genesis 12 from Pharaoh. Uh, what is this you have done to me? Why didn't you tell me she was your wife? It's the same question. And if only I could think of an example of Christians repeating the same sin over and over. Maybe you can think one in your own life. Second question is, 
How have I sinned against you that you've brought on me, my kingdom, a great sin? This is an accusation, isn't it? Think about it. We all understand this when we're little kids, that if someone sins against you, the proper response is to sin greater against them in revenge, right? You know? Look, if, if, if you have kids, you get this, right? Let's say one calls the other a doogie head. The other one's going to grab their wiffle ball bat and start swinging. And you're like, oh, okay, I, I, I get it. They shouldn't have called you that. But murder is a bit of a jump, okay? Right? I mean, you're just swinging at, at, at your sibling, right? We do that all the time. I was watching a Duck Dynasty episode last night. You're welcome. And uh, uh, Jace and Willie, are, are, they say, we're in the middle of a prank war. Been going on for about 30 years now. Right? And the whole episode is how one is upping the other, right? And it gets out of hands until their father has to correct them. They're like in their 40s or something. Right? And that's, so, so he's saying, what have I done to you that you would respond by bringing judgment upon me and my people? And the language here about a great sin is used throughout the Bible to describe idolatry. Let me give you two examples. Exodus 32, the golden calf narrative. Committed a great sin. The other has to do with Jeroboam. Remember, when you get the split, Rehoboam is in the south and Jeroboam is in the north. Uh, good luck memorizing that. It takes a lot of work, right? Uh, but but uh, Jeroboam, pagan immediately, right? And, and so he brings with it the great sin, that is idolatry. In ancient Near Eastern literature, this phrase is used to describe adultery. And in the Bible, adultery and idolatry are uh, oftentimes synonyms. Idolatry is adultery against our God, our husband, if you will, our groom. Uh, third question is, what did you see that you did this thing? This is a call for Abraham to explain himself. I mean, this, this is confrontation from a pagan to a supposed believer. Now, not only are we supposed to see parallels between the story of Hagar... There's parallels here with the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. At Sodom, the city threatened Lot. Here, Abraham threatens the city. It's inversed. So while we were criticizing Lot, and rightly so, the Bible turns the page and says, uh, we've got to criticize the main hero here. Abimelech's question calls Abraham to account. Why would Abraham sin against him and threaten the lives of others? And that is an important point to remember. You've heard me say a thousand times, sin is never private. Sin will always affect other people. And Abraham's one lie, uh, which was a series of lies, because he kept repeating it, affected not only his wife and her integrity uh, and her honor, but also an entire nation. No one sin is ever private. Now, verses 11 to 13 uh, Abraham gives his defense, and it's a whopper. Well, we'll move through this quickly. Number one, fear, there in verse, verse 11. I did it because I thought there is no fear of God at all in this place, and they will kill me because of my wife. So he says their problem was the lack of fear, but the real problem is his lack of fear. This is coming back to the bite him. Um, and furthermore, if he feared God, why would he fear the nation of Gerar? We've talked about this a thousand times, and we've talked about it recently. You will either fear God or you will fear, fear man. And the way we fear man it can be in multiple ways. It can be fearing governments or, or ordinances or whatever it is. It could be fearing laws or what your neighbor may do to you or what your boss may, may do to you, what your coworker may say about you, what someone may post online. You can either choose to fear man or you can fear God. 
Fear him who can destroy both body and soul. Don't fear him who can only destroy body, Jesus said. Um, and God has demonstrated he's protecting him and Sarah before. What, what's different now? Um, uh, he's afraid that Abimelech will kill him on account of his wife, but in reality, God is threatening to kill Abimelech on account of his wife. Oh. And the fear of God there may mean moral integrity. And so he, he likely prejudged them as not having integrity. But in the story, it's Abraham who doesn't have the integrity. Secondly, technicality. I, I, I just, I mean, part of me likes this because um, he's humorous. Besides, she is indeed my sister, the daughter of my father, uh, though not the daughter of my mother, and she became my wife. And he's, notice what he's doing there ultimately. He's saying, well, I didn't technically lie. She is my sister. Now, again, notice the parallels. We just read the story about Lot and his daughters. Now we get this other story. Here, it's, it's not sister, it's half-sister. And we don't know the, the mother of Sarah. She's never mentioned, because uh, I tried to figure this out. So Terah is the father of Abraham and Sarah. They have different mothers, right? Um, and uh, if you go back to chapter 11, we talked about it then, it gets really confusing about who's married to who, because... Whenever someone would die, often it would be the brother who would take the wife and whatnot. That'll show up later with Onan um, in a few chapters, actually. So we'll, we'll get there fairly soon, you know, three years from now. And um, so, so that's probably what it is you have here is, is he, he's married to Sarah. But in the eyes of the law, yes, they are half-siblings, half but they are husband and wife. So he goes on a technicality, but is still alive. And I can't help but think about it. This is still deceit, right? A half-truth is a half-lie at best. I, I teach a, uh, a current events class at uh, the homeschool co-op that man and I uh, take the kids to. And, um, and it's called Current Events, and we bring stories about what's going on locally and internationally, and, and uh, we, we try to think, how do we think as Christians through some of this sort of stuff? And so each student ha have an assignment. They bring three stories. Uh, what is the headline? What is the story? What's the source? I don't want to hear from Uncle Dan on Facebook, right? I don't want to hear that, right? And he's not really your uncle. He just likes to be called Uncle Dan. You know, that creep. And, and fourthly, you have to tell me any bias you perceived in the story, okay? And what's fascinating is, is in one, one story, I had a student say, look, I've read through this uh, you know, a couple of times, and I think it's pretty down the line fair. And I think I, you, you could be right. And, and as he starts sharing the story, I'm like, well, that's, that's interesting. That's, that's good. But if the whole story was just what is presented here, I would say that is a good story. But I was around when what led up to that and something similar happened. Why didn't they tell that part of the story? See, the bias isn't always in what is shared. It's also in what is ignored. So, yes, saying she is my half-sister is true. But you're forgetting the most important part of that story. She is my wife. Sleeping with a man's sister when you hand her over to someone is not a crime. Sleeping with another man's wife will get you killed. It's sort of an important detail to put in there. Um, the third thing he, he argues is partnership. Here he throws his wife under the bus. He better have something really planned for Valentine's Day. And when God calls me to wander from my father's house, notice there, he's blaming God there. That's worth pointing out. That's never good. Never good. Every time someone, uh, whenever they do something violent, 
and they think, well, God told me. I just cringe thinking, if you heard voices, <laughs> it was not the risen Savior. I'm not an expert in this stuff, and I'm pretty sure I'm an expert in this stuff. <laughs> right? I wouldn't heal. Um, I said to her, this is the kindness you must do me at every place to which we come. Say of me, he is my brother. It's a series of lies. After a series of lies, a series of lies. And he's saying, see, it's not my fault. At any point, she could have said, well, none of that's true. I'm actually his wife. Verily saying to thee, don't do that. Do not blame other people for your sin. And we've done it since the garden. What did he just say? Well, it's not me. It's that wife God gave me. It's not my fault. I was fine in her until God sent me out of there. Don't do that. Don't do that. Well, the response we can look at real quick, and we were running out of time. Um, Abimelech responds by making restitution. So just as Pharaoh enriched Abraham, Abimelech does the same. Uh, Pharaoh gave, among other things, slaves. Abimelech does the same thing. Remember, one of those slaves was Hagar. Hopefully Abraham will learn his lesson, although I'm having my doubts here. Um, the gifts of verse 15, that of land, stay here as long as you want, contrast verse 1. Uh, so he has a home, a temporary home. It's not the promised land, but it is still a place to, to, to pitch his, his tents. Um, notice verse 16, it's probably my favorite verse. To Sarah he said, Behold, I have given your brother a thousand pieces of silver. I love that. Don't you? I just, I just love it. Brother. <laughs> wink, wink. Uh, a sign of your innocence in the eyes of all. The Hebrew literally means covering the eyes. I don't know if your translation says that or not. It's, it's, a, it's a unique. You won't find this again in the Bible, this phrase. It, uh, it seems to, to say that if anyone dishonors Sarah because of what happened here, this action is a way of reaffirming and reestablishing her honor. Notice that Abimelech treats Sarah better than her own husband. I mean, brother. Right? Uh, and so what does Abraham do? He intercedes, verse 17 and 18, fulfilling his role as prophet. God had closed the wounds of the women here, and he opens them. And what happens in the next chapter? God opens another wound. So j just as God protected Abimelech, it's the same God opens wounds. Well, can I give you just five points of application? I know we're already late, but it's your fault. You were real chatty until we got time to pray. So, so let me just give you five points of application. Look at them real quick. I don't even have fancy notes here. I just got the five points, and my goal is to wing it, not to wing it quick. It is not unusual for believers to sin. That is not an excuse. That is reality. Uh, one of the things that I get asked a lot by people who are looking for a church, they'll ask, are they a bunch of judgmental people? One of the things that I hear there is, is I understand why that's being asked, unfortunately. Because there is a pattern of behavior in previous decades. But also, one of the things I try to show is you need to understand that to be a Christian is, is to still struggle with sin. The process of sanctification is a process. And hopefully today is better than yesterday. But tomorrow needs to be better than today. A Christian still sin. The big difference between a believer and non-believer is, is, is the we have an, an intercessor. We have, we have blood that covers our sins. And, and that should be the difference. Again, this is not a license to sin. Isn't this what John says? He says, if you're a believer, 1 John 1, you shouldn't be sinning. But if you do sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, who is righteous. That paradox is, is what it is, is the Christian life. Um, secondly, it is not unusual for believers to repeatedly sin. And repeatedly sin the same sin. 
This is probably the hardest part of sanctification, I find. It's that one thing, and chances are right now something has come into your mind. There's just that one thing you've struggled with for decades. And you just can't seem to, to, to defeat it. And, and for you, it's your weakness. And for the person next to you, it's something else. And the temptation is to say, well, because that something else isn't your problem, then somehow you must be more spiritual. Some of these sins are more public. Alcoholism or abuse or whatever it is. Some are more private. And the temptation is to make the public ones worse than the private ones. But you have right now that, that one sin that you've, you just struggle with constantly. Bitterness or gossip or envy or pride. You just can't seem to overcome it. Abraham does this twice and his son's going to do it a third time. Thirdly, God at times uses the voice of unbelievers to condemn the righteous. And it should hurt because it's supposed to. It's supposed to. I'm sure you parents have discovered. This is something I found when I was a youth pastor. Parents would come to me and say, why is it that when you say X that I've been saying their entire lives and they didn't believe me? When you say it, they believe it. Well, guess now I'm that parent, right? You know, kids say, did you know, like, I've literally told you that every day of your life. Your mother's family are crazy. And you're just now believing me? No, I'm kidding. Um, but, uh, yeah, we, we get that. And sometimes it's like we won't listen to God as revealed in his word or his gospel. But, man, when, 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 when the lost convict us, we had better be convicted. We get that here. Well, fourthly, repentance leaves no room for self-justification. That's what Abraham tries, isn't it? It's not that big of a deal. I can tell you why I did it. That's not repentance. It's not even an apology. I'm sure you've heard those apologies like, uh, I'm sorry that I hurt your feelings, but you need to know I had a troubled childhood. It needs to stop at, I'm sorry for what I did. Period. I'm sorry I was having a really bad day. No, no, no. You need to repent of what it is you did. Don't justify it. But man, we're good at self-justification. It's because it's a way for us to be the victim of our own sin. Right? That really, I'm the one that's been sinned against here. No, no, no. You're, you're, you're the wicked one. You need to act like it. Abraham and his excuses just do not fly. They don't fly at, at all. Finally. Redemption requires intercession. We get that in the story, isn't it? Abraham the prophet intercedes on behalf of a pagan king. The problem is, is what we need is a better prophet than this. If all we had were prophets like Abraham, we, we would be sorry people. Because the ones who intercede are as flawed as we are. And that's not real redemption. What we need is a true and better prophet. And surely you've been here long enough to know who that is. It's Jesus Christ, the prophet, priest, and king, who intercedes on our behalf. Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. He intercedes as the true and better one, without sin, and who is one who would never surrender his bride to anyone else. That's the good news of the story. Not Abraham, but his descendant, Jesus of Nazareth. You guys got anything you want to add to the story? Danny, did I miss anything? Yeah, I had a similar thought today. It's maybe that's his business plan. I hope Sarah went and bought her some new shoes. That's all I got to say. Because 
Uh, and I'm not usually one to, to, to uh, advocate that as a husband, but uh, I think she earned it here. And am I right? Let me make a joke, then I'll, then I'll come to you, Don. Um, ladies, do new shoes mean new dress? New dress means new earrings. New earrings means new diamonds. New diamonds mean new haircut. New haircut means new nails. Is that how that works? Oh, you're, you're no, I, I'm not, you, you don't count, Lisa. I know, but you're, yes, I know. And, and I think that's awesome. Don? The implication is it's the next, it's that night. Okay. That's the way I read it. I think with knowing that the wounds were closed, was that something that happened? Yeah, I've, I've thought that. That's interesting too. How do they know the wounds are closed? Some commentators uh, suggest that the, 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 the illness is more general. Um, so, so, it, so it may not just be the, the wounds being closed. It could be other signs. I, I don't know. Uh, but yeah, that is interesting. It, it could have been... I don't know. I don't know. But at some point, he got the message. And, and it, it can't be very long. You, you have a year between Sodom and the birth of Isaac. So it's got to fit within that time frame. Oh, so, yeah. Aren't you glad for special revelation? Um, in, this, in this version, it's, it's, it's in the form of a dream. Anything else? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, isn't it good news to know that God redeems Christians uh, and that he continues to forgive us? Um, the stories of guys like Abraham, and we'll see David is going to start his fall very soon. Um, that gives me the assurance of salvation that it's not an excuse to sin. It's a soft pillow to land on when we do sin. That God's grace is not determined on my good works any more than my salvation was determined by it. All I can do is lean into the grace of God. Because uh, th- this is pretty egregious. This is. Much as Lot's daughter raped their father, here you have a man who surrenders his bride to prostitution. It's very serious. It's easy to gloss over. It's a very serious sin. Yet grace is still sufficient for someone like that, which means it's sufficient for you. I mean, there's good news in the story. You're right, Betty. That's what well, a preach, won't it? Man, good stuff. Anything else? We got more chatty this week. That's all right. All right, well, let's uh, let's stand up and pray one more time. If that's all right, and uh, then then we'll be we'll be dismissed. I want to pick on him one more time because he's an all right guy. Danny, will you close us out in prayer?